And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Thursday noon. It is, let's see, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four days away from the Blue Jack, the biggest day of the Blue Jackets season. Even though the season has already ended, this has been the biggest day. I'm talking of the NHL draft lottery. This has been the biggest day of the Blue Jackets season since what? November? Um, yes. So 8 PM, the the draft is the league moved it from seven to eight just to draw the, the drama out a little bit longer. They try to position it so that it's in, in between, um, a a playoff game so that they're not conflicting with their own content, if you will. So 8 PM Monday, they will gather in Secaucus, New Jersey and ping pong balls will determine the fate of uh, the Blue Jackets and others. As you probably know, the Blue Jackets, they can still pick number one. They have a 13.5% chance of of that. Uh, They can pick as low as four. Uh, So I know what a lot of you are thinking. Don't think that way. Come on now. Um, We can talk about the lottery. We can talk about the draft. Blue Jackets are kind of underway in a coaching search, although this this has been slow moving from what I can tell. Um, talked a number of people off the record who, and no one has been contacted yet as some of the more prominent names you would assume. Um, so they wanted to get done with the first round of the playoffs. Here we are. And they may want to wait till after the draft lottery too, or more precisely, um, some of the candidates may want to wait till after the draft lottery. Just what kind of team am I stepping into? 
And of course, the draft lottery can determine that um, significantly. So um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that and more. Um, if you have any lucky um, tokens, any um, superstitions heading into the lottery, let me just say this. If you've done them before at the lotteries, don't do those again. They don't work. I think we've learned that now. So throw that rabbit's foot into the into the woods. Um, come up with something different. Uh, I'd be curious to hear that. <clears throat> Who do you want as coach? Any name jump off the page to you? And if it's not a specific name, what kind of coach do you want for the Blue Jackets? If you uh, wish to step to the stage, we'd love to have you. And we can bring you in for a, for a face-to-face or voice-to-voice conversation. Um, otherwise, uh, post your, your text messages. Or if you just want to sit back and listen, uh, you're free to do that as well, of course. Um, so uh, feel free to, to step in here. We'll go first to some text messages. Um, let me read these here. Um, Barrick has stupid work meetings and can't get in. Respect. Sorry about that. Um, what would it take with the 23rd pick for the Blue Jackets to move in the draft to perhaps another top 10 pick? Um, so the question is, the Blue Jackets have this, the LA Kings uh, first round draft pick. And I got to look at this. Um, at last check, I looked at this for the Sunday gathering last week. They could pick anywhere between 21 and 23. And it hadn't been determined yet. Um, I wonder where that stands now. We can go back and look into that. But they're in that realm. Can you get from 23rd to 10 in the top 10? Um, you know what? I would say most years not, and this year definitely not. You could. You could get there. Uh, but it would be for a significant asking price. Um, almost certainly a roster player or a big time, big time prospect. Um, this is a really good draft. This is a really good draft. In fact, the Michkov kid that people are talking about as maybe the second most talented player in this draft, some some people have considered him that high. He might go sixth or seventh this year. Uh, a for many reasons, um, his contractual obligations in Russia, but also the situation in Russia. There's some trepidation there. And there's really, really good players in this draft. So top 10 would be really tough. It would be really tough. I think that pick is going to be traded, but I don't think it's for a top 10 pick. I think it's to dramatically improve or hopefully dramatically improve the Blue Jackets roster. That would be defense, I think, is the is the first obligation because that is such a a cluster back there. I shortened that word. Um. But yeah, I think that pick is going to be on the move if they can, if they can find someone who values that. So thanks for the question, Barrick. Uh, let's go to Christopher A. Got to get a coach with NHL head coaching experience, right? Well, this is a great topic. Um, I think so. Uh, I mean, I think I'm agreeing with Christopher on this. I think there's a lot of people. I've talked to a bunch of people around the league, veteran, veteran coaches, some that aren't even in the game anymore, but still pay close attention. And they see it as a, a situation that's just crying out. Um, it does, not for a, a, this is an adult form. I think I can speak freely. Not for an asshole. Not for a complete confrontational prick. Um, not for a guy that's not enjoyable to play for. But someone who does not let things slide. As one former NHL coach to me said this week, that veteran coaches have a confidence about them having been through it before 
that they're willing to win, lose a battle to win a war, if that makes any sense. So do you need to sit a player who's one of your best players because he's playing like crap? Some coaches would say, no, we have to win every game. We have to give every every game our best chance to win. And veteran coaches, I think, have more of a an understanding of patience, of long season, of this is going to hurt us now, but it's going to benefit us later. Um, more than that, though, I think they need a person in here who can reevaluate all of the players, not someone who's been in the organization for a long time and seen it, but someone who comes in with his own blank slate. And, and you know, the moment they hire somebody, if it's somebody from outside the organization, that there's going to be a, I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about the players from within the organization. And I would hope that that coach says, nope, sorry, appreciate it. I want to make my own judgments in training camp. And that's kind of what it needs to be. Um, I think that's how it was largely sometimes to the frustration of others around with uh, John Tortorella. And not everything he did was right. Of course, it's not that job. You're not going to be right all the time. But players were held to account, not because of their name, but because of their game. And they got to get back to that. I, I think they lost it. Another coach. Put it this way, you need a coach that's not afraid of the players. And that's a sense that many got about how Brad Larson ran the Blue Jackets in the dressing room, that, that he got walked over. I think the guys kind of liked him. Guys respected him a little bit, but not to the level of sometimes in team sports, fear needs to be a portion of respect. And I don't mean fear, literal fear. I mean, I mean, respect that this person can can handle a situation that you are not in control all the time as the player, that's still the coach. Um, so I think they need a little mix of that. I think they, they're looking for a, a guy who has those traits, um, but also is not performative, is authentic in everything he does. And really, that's all, I think that's all players really want if they don't, even if they're not sure how to articulate that. Um, so thanks for the question there, Evan. Um, we've got a, a, a question waiting on the stage here. We'll do one more chat and then we'll get over there. Uh, Patrick D says, as we're guaranteed a top four, Bedard first, Fantilli second. If they choose third or fourth, can you see them taking Smith over Carlson? Smith has been shooting up draft boards. Um, yes, I can. And I, I've been saying this for a while now, honestly. And on, it took a little... Uh, bashing on Twitter when I said it a couple months ago that I won't be surprised if Will Smith, a USA player from the National Team Development Program, uh, heading to Boston College next year, Boston College or Boston U, pretty sure Boston College, um, is 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 going to open some eyes and is going to really draw some interest from, from teams. And I thought he, he had a chance to crack the top three, and I think he did. I'm not sure where the Blue Jackets stand on that. Of course, they're going to keep those cards close to their vest. Um, I'm writing a thing for the Sunday gathering on Sunday um, that goes pick by pick, like what Blue Jackets fans should expect, depending upon what happens at the lottery on Monday. You know it's Bedard at one. I think we can all say pretty safely it's Fantilli at two. That, of course, is when the draft is going to get really interesting this year. And I do think the Blue Jackets are one of those teams uh, and I don't think they're alone at all where Smith would be a consideration of three. And I definitely think he's a consideration of four uh, for sure uh, for the Blue Jackets. He would be, I think, the picket four over over Mitchkov. Um, 
I don't think the Blue Jackets would touch Mikov in the Michikov in the top four. So I do, I do think Smith is, uh, as you said, it's, it's an interesting thing. He, people are still playing hockey. Smith just wrapped up the, the under 18s. So he's been able to play his way up the draft board. I just marvel at the NFL draft, how these guys don't play, uh, from like late January on. And somehow between January and April, uh, people make moves up the draft board. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, so whoever was on the stage queue has has stepped away. Um, we'll we'll stay here with the uh, text messages. But if you've got a question, you want to step to the queue, we'll we'll get you. Ryan C says, "How exactly does the draft lottery work? Is it literally ping pong balls? Do they need to reset after every draw?" Was always curious. Well, Ryan, it's it's good you asked. I've got a a story running. I believe it's running tomorrow. Let me text the uh, boss here. It's been written for a couple of days now. Um, and see when that's going to run. But I, I think it was pegged to run on Friday that explains exactly how this process works. And really, it's important if you're one of those. I'm not saying you are, Ryan, but I know you're I know you people are. <laughs> I know you're out there uh, who believe that the draft lottery is rigged. Um, really, the steps that the NHL has taken make it really, really difficult, um, if not impossible for that to happen. Um, hang on one second. Let me see if the boss man gets back to me on that one. I think it's running tomorrow, but essentially they, they have 14 ping pong balls. Follow along here. If you can, it's a little confusing, but not really 14 ping pong balls, all numbered one through 14. So one, one ball has one, one ball has two, one ball has three, etc. They go into literally a lottery machine. You've seen those with the air percolating, the tube up the middle. And then when you, they have a remote control, so no one can, no one standing on top of the machine looking at certain balls can wait for it to get underneath the tube that sucks it up into the, into the uh, carriage. Uh, and someone from away from the machine says, now, and the guy standing near the machine with the remote control hits the button to open up the carriage, boom, the ball goes up. He pulls the ball out. He says, it's number two. He puts number two off to the side. They do this three more times. And from those that collection of four numbers, so it can be two, seven, 11, 14. It's never an order, obviously. It can be 14, uh, three, nine, four, and boom, those are your four numbers. And before the lottery even happens, the reason there's 14 ping pong balls is because there are 1,001 com- possible combinations, possible four-number combinations with 14 balls. And so they, they before the lottery starts, they pick one number at random because that gives them 1,001. They only want 1,000 total, and they spoil that number. So if by one in 1,001 chance those four numbers come up, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. They'd say, okay, we're going to do another four because th- that number has been spoiled. And they tell you this before the lottery even happens. It's established. And so then they draft the four numbers and they have a sheet. The Blue Jackets have a 13.5% chance. So out of a thousand balls, they have 135 that have the, there are 135 number combinations that align to the Blue Jackets. 
So if the numbers pop up 2, 7, 11, 13, they then cross-reference that with the sheet, and that's the team that won the lottery. If it's a team that's 11 to 1, then you go up to the number one spot. If it's a team that finished 12 through 16, then Anaheim automatically gets the number one pick. That team moves up as high as they can move. So the 12th place team, which I believe is Ottawa, would go to two. Whoever's 13th would go to three and so on. And then there's a second lottery draw to determine who is the next highest pick. So if Ottawa goes to two, the next pick would be for three. Um, And the Blue Jackets, of course, have a better chance of that than anybody given their standing as the second worst team in the league. So I hope that hope that clarifies it a little bit. As you can see, there's there's it's also run by an independent accounting firm. And people chuckle at that. People chuckle at the number combinations. They chuckle at the lottery machine. Like, yeah, 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 whatever. How, how do they do? How do they rig this? If you put all of that together uh, and witness it, and they do have people witnessing it, it is, to me, uh, I don't know how you fix that. I, I really don't. The other thing you should know, and I think this is a, a really good argument against it, if somehow they affected the balls, so this has been a theory, right? They refrigerate the balls or the balls that you want to have chosen are lighter than the other balls, whatever. Um, they use the same balls to pick the second one, the second number. So in theory, if you cheated with those balls, the same four numbers would come up both times. And there's no way to get around that. And that's why some that's why a lot of people like the idea of having two draws rather than just one, because it further minimizes the the uh, the chance that someone's going to to uh fudge this thing. And and it, believe me, whenever you tweet something about the lottery, I'm sure you guys have all had discussions about the lottery. There are many, many people who feel like this thing is fixed. Um and I think the league the system has done pretty well to minimize really any legitimate argument uh, in that in that direction. Uh, Alex D says, uh, "Thanks for that question, by the way, Ryan." And and yes, that story is going to run Friday, by the way. Um, and possible, it's possible that the New York Times might pick it up. Um, so there you go. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Alex D says, do you think Daryl Suter Sorry, Daryl Sutter would be a good fit for the CBJ. I personally don't. Uh, Alex personally does not. Jeff Merrick said the Flames let him go because his players pushed for his firing in exit interviews. Uh, yes, Jeff Merrick's not the only one who said that. The, the reporters with their boots on the ground in Calgary 
have been reporting that for a couple of weeks here, that there would be a player revolt. Um, and listen, that would be a tough hire. Um, I think there's a lot about Sutter that they like. I think there's a lot about Sutter they should like. This team would be, I mean, my God, let's, let me take a sip of coffee here. Cause this, I think this is the, needs to be the focus of the off season. Once we get past the, the lottery, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli would be fantastic for this team. Of course, the biggest improvements that need to be made, however, are from the red line back. That was true last summer. It'll be true this summer. They can't give up 300. What they give up 329 goals this year. Good God. That's like two hitch seasons. Do you realize that? It's incredible. That is a, an unreal amount of goals. That's got to be, that needs about 100 or 80 goals whacked off of it in the minimum. And that's a long way to go. That's a lot of improvement to make. Um, certainly, Wierenski back is, will, would help. Absolutely. Um, they're going to buttress this team by free agency, I would assume. If not there, by trade. Maybe they get two defensemen. Maybe. Um, and there are other needs on this team. It's not just the defensemen that struggle. My God, Elvis Merzlikens has got to get it together. He's got to get it together. Health-wise, attitude-wise, play-wise, all of it. That's the biggest change that needs to make. But did you notice how this team played with John Tortorella as the coach? Right? And he's not the only guy that can do that. I'm not saying he's the only guy that can do that. And the players deserve credit for it. They actually did it. But that is what coaching can do. When you hear Johnny Gaudreau say in his post-game conference that he really wasn't comfortable uh, defensively because it was so different for him. And that, that just, he's obviously not speaking by himself. And part of it for him was that he'd always played man-to-man. And then this team did sort of a switch up a system that just, oh my God, especially early in the season was just brutal. And I'm not sure how it didn't get through or how it didn't get applied, but I can't believe that Johnny Gaudreau is the only one who was confused by that. So the co- coaching is super, super important for this team. And I think they need a tough guy. I think Sutter would be really interesting. I think it'd be a very hard sell in the dressing room because these guys all talk. They know what Calgary went through. Johnny Gaudreau would know Sutter from a previous stop. So would Good Branson. I think it's worth noting that, that Johnny Gaudreau had his best NHL season under Daryl Sutter. So frustrating, sure. Does he come across sometimes as, as down in the mouth and pretty negative and grouchy? Oh, yes, he does. Um, but his teams typically battle their asses off. The other thing that's interesting about Calgary this year, they didn't have the year they expected to have. They they went through some major upheaval last year. And they still, you put them in the, in the East, that's a playoff team, right? They weren't far from, from making the playoffs. Um, and I know the standard there was making the playoffs, but it's not like they fell through the floor. So uh, Daryl Sutter's a hell of a coach. Uh, I It seems like a bit of a reach for me here, and I think it would take some polishing. Uh, with the players in the room, you'd absolutely have to have Gaudreau on your side. Uh, obviously, you're not going to do that a year after signing him as a free agent um, with, without his 
I wouldn't say his blessing, but without him speaking in favor of the move. So all things to consider. Um, Patrick D says, everyone's saying the Blue Jackets are shopping the 21-23 pick in first round. If draft class is as great as everyone says, why would we trade that pick? It's not like CBJ will be campaigning for the Stanley Cup next year. Um, well, this is a salient point. Any hint that Narmo is sacrificing short-term improvement to save his job over what's best for the team in the long run? Well, I, so I think he, I, I can't answer the last one because I, I don't, I don't think that it's that because uh, he's taken this approach with, with uh, late second-round picks before. I think he wanted to trade the pick that they ended up taking Coolman's with, uh, ultimately. Sometimes you can't trade him even if you want to. You don't get the the value back. I think the sense with this year's draft is that it is loaded up at the top and it gets murky like all drafts do later in the first round. Those are still really good players. Um, but I think I think the sense with the Blue Jackets is that this is now three years into a rebuild, restart, reconfiguration, regurgitation, whatever you want to call it. And they got to get going here. Um, they've spent, let's see, they had three first round picks the year they took Johnson, Sillinger, Kuhlemans. They had two last year and they took two defensemen. So they've had a lot of, a lot of early first round picks. They've got a lot of prospects in the, in the uh, cylinder, if you will. So uh, it makes sense to me when you see a roster that is so, so uh, deficient at the NHL level. I don't, they're not going to be acquiring a 34-year-old guy in the last year of UFA status. It's going to be a player that's in his prime with some years remaining and a significant financial obligation. Um, but I think the sense is that they need to get better quickly. Um, they need to get dramatically better. Not even. I think they should shut the hell up about the playoffs, to be honest with you. I, I was a little taken aback, really, last during training camp when you would say, um, is the is the goal this season to make the playoffs? And they'd say, "Oh, playoffs! Oh, we're going to win this. We want to win the Stanley Cup." And you go, "Oh my god! Like, okay, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Shoot high, right? Shoot high." But that just to me that is just so. I don't know. I don't want to say disrespectful of the Stanley Cup, but. I feel like you should maybe figure out how to win a playoff series or two before you start talking about your chances to win the cup. I mean, I'm not saying don't expect much from you, but my God, like be, be realistic, be honest. Uh, the playoffs is your goal. You don't, you don't know what it's, this team, this franchise doesn't have a, doesn't know what it's like. They've never been past the second round. They've only been to the second round once. Like the Stanley Cup just feels like it's a conversation that, that needs to wait until you are a legitimate year in, year out contender. Look, the 2019 team, the next year they, they had the right to speak that way, my opinion. Not, not the way they went into last season. Come on. Like, that's just, that's ridiculous. It's like the Cleveland Browns talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah, we can win a Super Bowl. You've never been to a Super Bowl. Like, get to one first. And I love the Browns. But, God, it's just so ridiculous. Um, Andrew N., the Swedish league has 
relegation a la European soccer with the wrinkle that the bottom two teams play the best of seven. Oh, no. Could you imagine the atmosphere in Nationwide Arena during a best of seven with Anaheim with the loser going down to the AHL? Um, It'd be great in the house. It'd be unbelievable at the owner's level because there goes your business model. Um, There goes your business model. There go your best players. There goes so, so much. That's why it can't happen here. will never happen here. Uh, one thing I've come to learn at the age of now 53 is the exceedingly wealthy do not like consequences. Consequences are for other people. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, we've all talked about relegation and, and what league the Blue Jackets would be in at this point. But, uh, yeah. Dream a little dream. It is fascinating. I mean, that's one of the things I think people really love about the English Premier League, especially as a North American fan. And all leagues, really. It's just all European soccer leagues. It's just the uh, the freaking consequences of being the worst team in the league. My God, it's it's absolutely dramatic. Uh, thanks for the question there, Andrew. Hey, we got someone on stage. We've got John F. Let's go to John F. John F., you are on front and nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going, Porty? Good, man. How are you? Good. Um, I guess back to the coaching uh, discussion. I um, I saw yeah. Friedman and uh, Sarah Valley said that uh, Gerard Gallant might be uh, this time might be done in New York. So I think that to me that seems like a perfect fit, the kind of a full circle moment for him to come back to the Jackets. Yeah, and you know what? He wanted to come back uh, this last time when they hired Larson, and. I think I'm not sure if he would would uh, go there publicly now, but but it's true he would have rather come to Columbus than New York. If you know Gerard, Gerard is a Columbus kind of guy, not really a big city, uh, high traffic kind of guy. I think he would absolutely love to coach here. I think the question that has to be posed is, what kind of coach is he, and is he the right coach for this team? Like, as a former player, I do think he garners a significant amount of respect. I think the players respect him, especially if they know the way that he played. Um, I don't think he's regarded as a great X and O's guy. So if that is the case, if that's how management feels as well, you'd have to put assistance with him um, that are fantastic X and O's guys. And I think he can be tough on guys. I don't think he um, critiques them publicly like Sutter and Tortorella. I think he keeps a lot of that stuff in the room, but I do think he has that element to him. So that could work. Um, And I think he's got a group of people in the front office here that, that are in his court. Uh, Gerard is a great guy and Gerard has, um, maintain friendships with people from his time in Columbus. So I think he would absolutely jump at the opportunity to come back. And I, I got to tell you, the, the coaches, the veteran coaches that I've talked to who would be looking, um, a lot of them are intrigued by what happens May 8th, and nobody has said, I wouldn't take that job unless May 8th goes the right way. There's a lot of people who think this is a pretty good situation. I mean, it's an NHL job. There aren't many of them. 
Um, but I think there's a sense that it can be pretty good here if they if they can make some meaningful changes here. So I, I think Gerard is a is 100% a candidate. I'm not sure if he's the pick, but he's 100% a candidate. Cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. Thanks for stepping on. Uh, we'll go back to the chat room. Again, if you want to ask a question on the stage, step on up. Um, William says, have you heard that CBJ has interest in bringing Felino back? <laughs> well, I, I spoke to Nick Felino uh, via text yesterday. Gave him a couple of days to breathe. And just told him that uh, whenever he figures out what next steps are, I'd like to chat with him. He said he wants to take some more time and kind of let it breathe a little bit. Um, so respect that. I think he's, uh, that. you know, I look at the Felino and I think Lion and Winter, right? I think, um, I think the assumption was that this was his last run and how, how brutal that is to be a healthy scratch in game seven. That's going to eat him alive. And it might even stoke a fire that causes him to look for another deal. I'm not sure he's done, I guess is what I'm saying. I think he still feels like he's got something to give. Um, so, yeah. I don't think he comes back to Columbus as a player. Let me put it that way. Um just look at the forwards. My God, I did a thing. We've done a couple of things uh, since the season ended, the position by position sort of look ahead to next year, what this looks like. Uh, but also the story, I think it ran yesterday uh, about Connor Bedard and what the blue jackets would look like adding him to the mix. And the one thing that it's, it's the argument against Gus Nyquist coming back. I know a lot of people want that too, but I mean, I don't know where you put these guys unless you're making sweeping changes up front with tons of guys out and you've got a fourth line role for Felino. Um, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that, but I, that's a lot of movement. I mean, it's hard to put, to add uh Texier into the mix to add whoever they get in the first round. But let's be clear. The guy they get in the first round this year may not be NHL ready. If it's Bedard or Fantilli, they probably are. After that, it's probably a wait till next year proposition for that player. Um, but if they add a player from the draft, Texier comes back, that front group, and these are NHL contracts, not two ways, they've got a real, a real crowded room there. I'm not saying it's the best room. I'm not saying they've just got too much talent. They got a lot of bodies. Um, so it would be to bring in a veteran like Nyquist or Felino, as much as I think a room could use more and more and more of that. Um, cause it is a wayward room. Um, I feel like, uh, that's probably going to happen on the back end, not the, uh, the, um, the forwards. Um, let's see, Jeremy, thanks for the question. Um, William Austin H says, will you be at the blue jackets draft lottery party? I will not. I will not. I I've got a lot of work to do that night. Um, and I'll be, uh, on assignment. So I'm not going to be at the draft lottery party, but I hope everybody has a great job. They're a great time. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, Jeremy V says, how do you feel about the possibility of Quenville coming back to Philly? Hold, please, for a sip of coffee. Uh, I'm intrigued by, by Quenville. I, there's some steps that have to be taken, of course. This is a different situation. He stepped down as coach of the Florida Panthers, you'll recall, after it came to light that the Chicago Blackhawks um, were aware of sexual abuse within their organization and did not confront or report it. Uh, years later, this became known. Uh, Quenville was part of the decision-making process there. Stepped down as coach of the Panthers. Before he can coach again, he needs to be reinstated by the National Hockey League. And my correspondence with the league, uh, as recent as yesterday, tells me that that has not happened. Now, that's not saying it can't happen. Um, there's a suggestion by a, f- a few people uh, in prominent situations who believe it will happen this summer. It has not as of yet happened. Uh, it would have to happen for him to get the job. Um, he is an interesting hire. He will cost. Even with this, I don't know if you want to call it baggage, but even with this baggage, he will. he's going to demand a price. Um, so something to consider. Uh, but he, he is, a obviously he's, the guy knows what he's doing. He's a winner. And oddly enough, he's the, he was the, uh, it's not odd, I guess. It's not even ironic. It's just a note. The first NHL coach I ever interviewed, Joel Quenville, St. Louis Blues. First NHL player I ever interviewed, Chris Pronger, St. Louis Blues. Pretty good start. I got to say, um, but Quenville is a, is a, um, obviously a very accomplished coach and has a kind of a no bullshit attitude. He's one. So players respect the hell out of that. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's got, he's got the credentials. Uh, he needs to be cleared by the league first. Uh, we've got a caller on the stage queue. This is Jonathan R. Jonathan R. Hello, sir. How you doing today, Forty? Good, man. How are you? Good. Uh, I missed the beginning of this, so I apologize if you kind of already touched a good amount on it. And so feel free sure. to skip it if you did. Um, but I just kind of was, you know, obviously in the anticipation leading up to Monday here, like it's just weighs so heavy of, of thinking like how vastly different the CBJ franchise could be guided by how the ping balls, balls drop on Monday. Um, yeah. I can you just speak a little bit to. The, you know, obviously the on-ice product is super exciting with Bedard, uh, but can you speak a little bit to the impact getting a guy like that has in just elevating Columbus beyond just kind of the, oh, their regional also plays in the NHL kind of team as opposed to how, how they get treated by like national media, Canadian media, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How yeah. how attention they get if you get a guy like Bedard who lives, assuming that he does kind of live up to the potential that they're talking to. Um, I mean, yeah. You know, with yeah. Edmonton and McDavid, which he was pretty massive. Uh, yeah, yeah. So many people yeah, yeah. McDavid are talking about Edmonton. 
Well, I, I think in the modern media and pro sports, pro sports culture, he will garner an enormous amount of respect uh, or attention right from the start. And it almost doesn't wait. Uh, it needs to be buttressed by your play on the, on the ice. And you've got to further it by the way you play. Uh, you can crash and burn Johnny Manziel. Um, but it, that hype around a, a quote-unquote celebrity player is just a big deal immediately. So ESPN may learn that the Blue Jackets have a franchise. Sorry, Bucci. Um, it, it would bring certainly a ton of attention. You would have kids all over North America, maybe Europe, buying number 98 sweaters with the Blue Jackets. Not because of the Blue Jackets, but because of Bedard, right? Um, the other thing, the long-lasting impact is a player like Bedard helps you win hockey games. And the one thing that has kept Columbus, you said it, it's, it's a fine, apt description, sort of a regional brand, is they've never gone on a run. They beat Tampa in 2019. That was awesome. I really loved it. But they've never gone into it's June, right? With with their games, they've never they've never had that long run that just captivates the city. I felt like it started in 2019 for sure. That brought a ton of people on board that weren't there before, and a lot of them have stayed. Um, but there's there's nothing like a playoff run, and Bedard helps you. I think he's one of those lift all boats types of players. It seems crazy to say this about a 17-year-old. But when you talk to people around him, older people who are not prone to hyperbole and people who have even honestly started in their relationship with him with a wary eye, like, come on, like, let's just calm ourselves. The kid's 15 years old and in junior, right? Let's just... Let's let's level expectations here. They those are his most ardent supporters. And I think to his junior coach John Paddock, who I had a, just a wonderful conversation with in Regina when we were there in January, and he talked about Connor Bedard arriving at the rink before half of his staff does. He talked about Bedard. Uh, leaving the rink and telling his trainers that it's okay to kick Connor Bedard out of the rink at 5.30. At 5.30, you can throw him out. And he says, hey, it's not, this is not a kid drinking hot cocoa and playing ping pong in the dressing room. He's working. And you hear, you hear stories about Crosby like that, Sidney Crosby. You hear Nathan McKinnon stories like that, almost a little freaky about McKinnon and his competitive level. And that's the kind of guy that steps into the room and by the power of his convictions and his will brings other people along. And I'm sure there are 26 and 27 year old guys in the room. I know I've heard them kind of roll their eyes at what an 18 year old is going to do. But when that kid steps in onto the practice surface and steps into an NHL dressing room, and carries himself in the way that he can. Respectful for sure, but damn it, he's got work to do, and this is what he wants to get accomplished today. The kid is incredibly driven, 
And I, I find through the years, there are so many people whose life goal is to make it to the NHL. That's a hell of a goal. And it's impressive that you can make it. But the really special ones, <clears throat> they don't dream of making it to the NHL. They dream of coming to the NHL and dominate. Like, it's not enough to just be here. And I feel like a lot of dressing rooms have guys that are really like the lifestyle. It's a really cool way to live. I mean, you, you don't even remember what an airport's like. Checking in, going through security, that's for other people. Like, they've got a pretty good life. And this guy comes in and it's like, this is not the goal. The goal is up there and we're not even close to it. And those are the kind of guys that drive the standard. God damn, this team talks about the standard so much. What is the standard that's been set in Columbus? Seriously, what is the standard? It's make the playoffs six, five times, six times, six times in 23 years. Like it or not, that's the standard. The standard has to change. And the people talking the most about the standard right now, I'm not sure they really have an idea of what that standard needs to be. Um, but they're, they're people, and they're, they're kind of weird. Crosby's a little unusual. McKinnon's a little unusual in that they're driven that hard and that, that ferociously, and they really don't care who gets in their way. During the season this year, Connor Bedard was taking lessons from a skills coach. This guy, he's taking lessons from a skills coach during the season when if he looks around in the WHL, nobody's got more skill than he does. And he's still taking skating lessons, skill lessons. Um, it's, it's crazy. And I know he's 5'9 and 3'4", 5'10". You shake his hand, he almost, almost cracks your knuckles. Like, the kid is, is packed. Uh, and that's work. That is work. That's not him just saying, well, I'm 510 there's only so much i can do no no he is built like a like the uh the brick shit house that everybody talks about he's he has come packed and, and packed so that's that's what it changes i think the organization here is probably already working on on things that they need to be prepared for because it will be an entirely different world for them and I think they're smart enough to realize that it's going to be an entirely different world. This is not Nash. Nash was great. Nash was their previous best player. This would be beyond that, the level of attention that they get. Um, so I hope that answers your question, Jonathan. It may have gone on too long. Yep. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's go to Caleb. Caleb, are you with us? Here we go. Can you hear me okay? Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm good. How are you, man? Good, good. All right. So I'm in Indianapolis now. I used to live in Columbus, but huge right. Blue Jackets fan. Watch every game I can. Um, my first question was, someone's asked it too, but Ross Levick and maybe someone else they package him with, um, what do you think they get D-man wise? Like in terms of, you know, are we talking like a four, five, six guy like on the defense? Yeah. And then second question for you, what's your go-to beer brewery in the Columbus area? I figure we go a little different route here. Whoa. Um, so to Rothenbeck, let's see. You know, it, 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 this is a tricky one because I think there are a lot of people still that are intrigued by Rothenbeck's skill. But I still think there's great indecision across the league about what he is. 
And at his age, it's not what you think he's going to be, really. It's what he is. Um, do you think he's a center? This team has given him every opportunity to play center. He didn't get it that much in Winnipeg. He's gotten it like way more than I think he could even have expected here. Do you think he's a winger? He might be better suited as a winger. Um, what is he? Can you play him on the third line? I mean, if, if, if you align your club where your third line is your defensively sound checking line, not everybody does anymore, then if that's how you look at that line, then that doesn't make any sense at all, especially when you get into the, the playoffs. If you want a fourth line that is super skilled and can pop in 20, 25 goals collectively, he can be part of that, but that's a lot of money to pay for a fourth line guy. So he's kind of a weird fit is what I'm saying. And he was an easier fit when you bring him on based upon expectations. If you now think that he is what he is, it's, it's a harder fit. Um, when you're still optimistic about where he can get to, you know, you bring him in and say, well, maybe he can play third line, but we think he can play as high as second line. And that's what they did in Columbus. He's, he's dabbled there. At times he looked good, but it never seems to last for long. I think, I think they're going to move him this summer. I think they're, I think for sure he gets moved and others do if they add a center in the draft. Uh, I just think he makes sense as a guy leaving. But I'm not sure that the return is going to be a significant roster player by itself. I'm not sure who you're combining him with in the trade, but that would have to be a significant piece as well for for the return to be a bona fide defensive top four. That's how I see it. Now, there are 31 other GMs in the league, and you don't need all 31 of them to agree. You just need one. You need one that says Jack Roslovic fits what we're doing. Is it Vancouver? Vancouver's looking for a center. How do they see their team? How do they align their team? Are they a go, go, go offensive team? Um, can they put him on the wing? I'm not sure how he fits there. Uh, not my club, but I, I think there are there are some places that could make it work. But I think it's a difficult trade if you're going to bring back if you're expecting to bring back a top four defenseman by itself. I mean, he could be part of a Ross Levick in that first for a defensive fix. I could see that, but I'm, I'm not sure what the other half of that trade would have to be. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. And then, oh, okay. yeah, about the beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're you good. Beer. So I'm kind of a, I kind of suck as a, um, as a brewery guy. I'm, I'm out near Homestead. I like home, Homestead stuff a lot. Um, I live in Granville. We've got three tigers there, which I really like a lot. Um, I, don't go at it much like I used to, and I, I can't do IPAs. So um, I'm not, uh, I used to be able to just get after it with the wheat beers, and those kill me now. So I'm kind of a boring Pilsner lager guy. Um, and I'd rather have, I'd rather have good people around me than good beer um, at this, at my, <laughs> at my advanced age. Uh, but good, good beer and good people is about as good as it gets. And last night it was at, uh, Red Rocks. 
uh, to see Jason Isbell, which was incredible. And I had a, a Pilsner at the uh, Red Rock Beer Garden. It was um, absolutely crisp and delicious. I would say it was a Czech style Pilsner. Um, so that's where I go. But if you're ever around Granville, by all means, check out uh, Three Tigers. They've got they make their own. It's it's fantastic, and uh, you'll probably dig it. Now that's on the other side of Columbus for you and Indy, so it'd be a commitment. But you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. I would say. Hilliard, I've not been to the ones in Granville, but uh, definitely the ones in Hilliard, like uh, Crooked Can's a really nice spot to drink mm-hmm. a patio beer. Yeah. And my sister lives out that way still, so. Nice. Uh, yeah, but hey, man, sorry, didn't want to take too much time, but. Uh, no, you're good. Please, Thanks, let's see some magic on Monday, baby, please. Yeah, well, cross your fingers or do whatever you do. Whatever you do. Yep. Thanks All right. Hey. Uh, next up, we've got Paul B. We'll go a little bit after. Uh, a little bit after one here. Paul B., you're on Front Nationwide. Go ahead. Forty, how's it going? Good, Paul. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, you mentioned something, and it got me kind of wondering. You were, you were talking about Bedard. You were saying, and saying the whole world of the Blue Jackets, especially the front office, is going to change, assuming something great happens for us and to the team. And, you know, they land Bedard. So, yeah. you know, obviously – they need the right coach that can handle that situation and bring up the right player. But I got to think at the same time, same goes for the front office. Front office is going to have a heck of a job to support this guy to make sure, you know, they meet the expectations that a, he's going to have for himself and B the whole world is going to have for the team. So I guess my question is, how do you feel like front office is set up right now? Are they going to be able to handle the ever-changing landscape they're going to face if something happens, something good happens on Monday for them? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's hard to say because they, they haven't had to before. Um, I, I would say this is an, an incident where a situation where having John Davidson up at the top helps. Um, a guy that's been in a huge market, New York, for much of his career. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think there is a keen understanding that he needs Bedard needs to be surrounded um, in the right way. I think you've heard Yarmo say uh, that they feel a need for more veteran voices in the dressing room. I think the other side of that could be uh, removing certain people from the dressing room. I think it works both ways. I think they're keenly aware of it, but I think I think if I'm being honest, the uh, the answer is I don't know because they've not done it before. Um, I think, you know, all this front office, when you say front office, I'm thinking hockey operations people. Um, and so, you know, that means, do you expose him from day one as your number one center? If anybody can handle it, maybe he can, but it might be better to to bring in a, a player that could fit in that role or let Boone Jenner remain there for another year and give Bedard the second line or put him on Jenner's wing. I like the idea of him playing on a line with Jenner, and not specifically because it's Boone Jenner, but because I look at the roster and I think that's the guy. I mean, who can who can play wing if Bedard's not ready for center? A guy that can take faceoffs. I think if you look at this team, though, it's pretty obvious that they they need size on the wings too. Like it's easy to say, well, you put uh, you know Bedard with 
Gaudreau. But God, who do you put on the right side? Um, like Line A's six foot five, but he doesn't play like a six foot five power forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Marchenko's a shooter. He's a he's got a decent sized frame. He doesn't lean on people. A Jenner type seems really beneficial in terms of getting pucks off the wall, um, deflecting pucks in front. That's what he does. Um, so he's the name that jumps off the roster to me is currently put together, but it's something that they've got to consider. They have to go out and, and make it happen if they feel like he needs the right mix around him. So yeah, this is, this ratchets up uh, the expectations for everybody, for everybody. Um, marketing for sure. Front office for sure. Even us beat hacks who, who, uh, you know, had a kind of a weird rough year this year, right about the lottery from December on. Um, <laughs> it changes the beat. It just does. It changes the beat entirely. Um, so, yeah, yeah, hold your hold your horses. <laughs> now, I, I know I know Sid was obviously a much different player than than Connor. I think I got to imagine he was a lot bigger coming out of in his uh, entry year. What he, what happened with his first year when he got to Pittsburgh? Did he go right to number one center, or did he start somewhere else? I wasn't watching so hockey at that point, so you talking about Crosby? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. I, I'm not. I think he played mostly number one center. I think they eased him in. I mean, he had, and I've written about this extensively too. Like, like you know, look at the names that were around Stamkos when he got to uh, Tampa. Look at the names that were around some of these players that really help them uh, acclimate. Um, I think there's certain aspects of Connor Bedard where he knows uh, just what he's, what he's doing. I mm-hmm. uh, need that kind of guidance. Somebody do, but you know, I mean, Pittsburgh had Mark Recchi, John LeClaire. I mean, these guys that, that are like foundational. Like Sergey Gonchar was there. Good God. I mean, it's these Brooks Orpic, these, these like pillars of, of the NHL. And a lot of those guys aren't around anymore. Uh, the guys that age aren't around anymore. Uh, Recky was 37, LeClaire 36. I mean, those guys just aren't in the league anymore. Hell, Mario Lemieux was on that team, believe it or not. Uh, Crosby's rookie year at 39. Oh. But Crosby had 39 goals and 102 points as a rookie. So that's a prominent role at 18 years old. So yeah. it, it, can't, it can't happen. I'm not saying that that uh, Bedard is Crosby either, but the, the, the kid's going to produce from day one. I'm just not sure if that's as a center or initially as a winger. These are things they'll have to determine through camp. Sounds good. Well, All right, keep our, football, we'll keep our fingers the, uh, crossed. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks for the question. We'll get to a couple more texts, um, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Let's see. Janice D says, how do teams get assigned their four-digit numbers? Uh, those are chosen at random by the computer before the draw even happens, Janice. So you'll see. Uh, they, they actually post a video of this um, on – there's still some on there from you from previous years. I think you can see last year's. I know you can for sure. Um, there's a gentleman from the uh, accounting firm who's sitting at a table with, like, a stack of papers. And when they rattle off the four numbers, they go looking through the sheet to see who matches those four numbers. But those numbers are assigned in advance. They are published in advance. So no freaky business. Uh, again, they've taken every step they can to keep people from saying, 
yeah, well, you know, who's going to win it. Come on. Um, and yet people s- still do. Um, uh, so thanks for the question, Janice. If you have any further questions, by all means, fire me a, an email or, you know what, that Friday story will probably explain a lot. I hope it did. I, I tried to make it as explanatory as possible. Uh, Matthew M says seeing tweets from Russian reporters saying that Bronkov is coming over. Well, yeah, we've known that. Uh, I saw his contract had a, a European assignment clause. Could he get sent back to Russia? If he doesn't make the team, never heard of such a clause. Um, I'm not sure if they have, if, if that is in the deal. It's a two-year deal. I can tell you that much. My sense is that they're going to let it, things just sort of calm down there this week. This is a, this is now a high-profile player. And honestly, this is a more high-profile high player than Marchenko was last year. Um, if, if only that Marchenko bounced between the KHL and the minors last year. Perhaps his punishment. But he's kind of off the radar in Russia a bit last year at this point. Voronkov is very much on the radar. That team, his team, uh, Kazan Ekevars, just lost the championship of the KHL. He had a great series. So he's, this is a high alert situation. And my sense is they are letting it chill out for a bit and then seeing where it goes. But Per the CBA, it'll be a two-year deal. Not sure about the European assignment clause. They have had those before, uh, and not just with Russia, but players from other places. Essentially, these players feel as though they've done their minor league training in Russia, and they don't care to come to the NHL or to North America if they're going to um, be sent to the AHL. So Christopher A says, we're going to go rapid fire here to wrap it up here. Thanks for all the questions today. Christopher A says, assuming the Jackets are waiting to speak to coaches that are currently in the playoffs, how long do you think they'll wait before moving on to other options? Also, what do you think of Andrew Burnett as a possible option for the CBJ? Well, if there's a guy that they really, really, really want, I think they'd wait till after the cup, honestly, because they don't need a coach right now. Um, and this, the fact that they wanted to wait for the playoffs to go kind of suggests um, that they do have somebody in mind. Yarmo Kekalainen pushes back against that, but that's a fair read, I think. Um, I've spoken, speaking to people close to Gerard Gallant, it doesn't seem as if the Rangers are going to make a decision on Gallant uh, rashly or immediately in the, in, the, um, in the emotion of getting bounced in the first round. Um, so... I can't imagine that it takes too long, but it may, it, he wasn't, you know, fired the next day. Um, I think they're going to kick it around a little bit and they may also be waiting to see if they can get Quenville. And as many have said, um, if the Rangers want Quenville, the Rangers will, will get Quenville. Uh, Jim K says, have you heard anything about Carolina resigning Rod Brindamore? Uh, no, but one assumes that that is going to happen. He may be, the best or among the best coaches in the league. Uh, Jordan Z says, what about Butchergross posting on the Rand Pecknold and Columbus photos on Twitter? Uh, I think there's interest from Rand Pecknold. I think the Blue Jackets would be silly not to talk to him. I think, I think they're more looking for an impact coach at the NHL level, maybe someone with a reputation in the NHL that uh, Rand Pecknold uh, would not 
at this point have. Um, so I think it's a long shot, but I think there is interest there. And it may be more interest from Rand Pecknold than it is from Columbus at this point, but we shall see. Um, why does Columbus struggle? This is from Thomas P. Why does Columbus struggle so much to succeed in the 20 years of existence compared to Seattle, Vegas, and, and Minnesota? Well, throw Seattle and Vegas out because they came into the league under incredibly different circumstances than Minnesota and Columbus did, uh, and Atlanta and Nashville um, entirely. I mean, that's it's like a whole different world for those guys. Not taking away anything that they've done, really freaking impressive. Um, but their ability to to build a team from the get go. Just go back and look at the original. Um, rules when Columbus and Minnesota entered and keep in mind too, they were the third wave of expansion. They came in after Atlanta and Nashville or Nashville, Atlanta. So the league had been picked apart and picked apart the two previous off seasons. And then you've got two teams coming in at the same time. Um, So there's that, but let's be honest though. I mean, you can't blame Columbus to struggle still on there being an expansion team. I'm just saying, Seattle and Vegas are still very young franchises. They've had enormous success, but that's because they came in in a much different way than Columbus did. Uh, the Blue Jackets of Minnesota, the Wild had a great run. I want to say their fourth year, maybe their third year to the conference finals. Um, since then, I think the two organizations are fairly, I don't know. I'd have to look. Um, I think people are forgetting that Columbus did make the playoffs four years in a row. Um, from 17 to 20. So it hasn't been a complete uh, waste here. And Minnesota's frustrated and struggling too. Um, but yeah, that, it's a different world now for, for teams coming in. Um, Spit and Chicklets discussed Brunette and his run and gun style with Florida and now New Jersey. Feel like that would be an incredible fit. Young coach, young team. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. Uh, and Brunette had great success with uh, Florida. So I would think, you know, perhaps that's one of the guys that they're looking to talk to um, by waiting into the playoffs. So um, Mitchell says, by the way, Rear Admiral, <laughs> Rear Admiral drops your name from time to time and speaks highly of you. Yeah, a uh, nice guy. We've uh, corresponded on Twitter a few times. Seems like a good dude. Um, love the Boston accent. Um, Michael R says, thanks for the perspective on Felino. You are welcome. Philip N says, are you expecting some draft day trades? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really am. I think there's a lot of teams that are looking to make a lot of moves. Um, what do you see as the best possible CBJ return in uh, thought to be available D-men for 23 plus Roslovic? Um, yeah, that, that it's it's freaking hard to throw um, names up against the wall trade-wise. What are the Rangers doing with Lindgren? Like, that's a guy that's really kind of interesting to me as a second pair guy. You know, I like Graves from New Jersey as a free agent. I like Severson, Cam Severson from New Jersey as a free agent. Um, They're going to have to make some moves because they've got more talent coming in. Um, So they've got some options, Columbus does. Um, Neil R says, will Line A be playing center in the world championships? Um, I don't think so. Um, he's not playing in the early tune-up games, uh, but hopefully he'll be back for the tournament. I got to tell you, some of the people I've talked to in Finland think it's a 
a bit of a joke that he's playing center as well. I'm not completely sold on it myself. Um, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Worlds would be a great place to work it out because it's like a step down from the NHL. Um, Brett S. says, what do you think of Bob Hartley as a coaching candidate? Uh, intriguing and has worked with Elvis before. But again, there's some baggage there. If you remember the whole the pushback against coaches that uh, leaned toward uh, verbal or physical abuse, his name came up more than a few times. So you, they would have to uh, address that or somehow package that in a way. Elvis really, really liked Bob Hartley. I think Hartley also has coached Chinikov through the year. So I, you certainly wouldn't hire him because of those two things. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a guy wins. Guy wins. Uh, Michael M says, you reference people needing to be removed from the dressing room. I'm sure you won't name them out of respect for them. But do you know specific people in a locker room who are negative to the team culture? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say there are two or three guys that uh, for more than a couple of years, it's been, um, yeah, they, they're fearful that the wrong people are following the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, Brett S says, what are the chances CBJ finally addressed first line center via trade this summer? Are the chances better if they land Bedard or Fantilli to insulate them? Well, I mean, it, it's not, I will say this, it's not a matter of, not wanting to address first line center. It's a matter of those guys just almost never becoming available. I mean, unless you want to bring in a number two and act like he's a number one, you can do that. But those, those guys just don't pop up. I mean, go team by team on the great cap friendly site and look at the top players and their contracts. They're locked down. Right. And, when they go to free agency, if they ever do, they, they go to places to win a cup and Columbus is not your destination for that. I don't need to, I don't need to, to tell you that. So yeah, would they want to? Oh, hell yeah. I still think defense is a bigger, it, they're both on fire house on fire call, call the, uh, the fire department is situations in terms of being able to compete in the NHL. But I still think the most, dangerous raging fire right now is the is the back end uh william says is there a huge difference in bedard and fantilly as far as the impacts on the city organization etc um you know what i it, it's it's kind of this draft is kind of rough and rough for fantilly because in any other year he would be the prize and i think he is seen by many as a surefire really good hockey player really really excellent hockey player I don't think Andre Kopitar is is a bad comparable from talking to people. That's a hell of a career. Um, he is a competitive, hard skating. Um, he is a prick, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, they're different players. He and Bedard are. Bedard is absolutely garnering the headlines and has the uh, generational player mystique about him. And so people are kind of, I think, forgetting about Fantilli. And some of it comes off as a slight against Fantilli. Like, I, if the Blue Jackets end up picking number two in this lottery, there will be people, um, I'm not saying loyal listeners here, 
there will be a lot of people who are like, oh my God, they blew it again. And that is the wrong way to think. They, they will not have given themselves a chance to draft Bedard. But to come out of this draft with Fantilli would be absolutely huge for this organization. Uh, he is a hell of a player and really screams NHL centerman. I think there's with a lot of people, there's a question of, but is Bedard a winger or is he a center? And I don't say that as a slight. I think he can play center. I think the kid can do whatever the hell he wants to do. I think he's determined to, to do that. But Fantilli is for sure a player right down the middle. And I think people would be super excited to get him. But there will be sort of the novice fans or the, the surface fans uh, will lament not getting Bedard. And that that's fair. That's fine. Um, it, it, but it would be a, a major, major uh win for the, the franchise either way. Ed N says, if CBJ win the Bedard lottery, does he move into Rick, Na- Rick Nash's basement? Um, so Crosby, of course, lived with Lemieux. I got to ask Nasher if he's fixing up the basement for uh, for number 98 to move in. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Sillinger, when he was 18, lived with a family in New Albany uh, who was friends with Yarmo, who was friends with um, really a friend of the organization going back several years. We tried to do a story on him, but the family had no interest in doing a story. I thought it'd be a fun away from the rink story, but anyways. And last question from Brett S. Not a question. Saban Hartley also had Gaudreau in his last year in Calgary, I believe. I will take your word for it. Um, It seems like they may have crossed, but not sure on the timeline. Uh, Everybody, thanks for joining us today on Front of Nationwide. Really appreciate it. Hell of a conversation. Well, we're going to have a conversation Early next week, uh, depending upon how that lottery goes, uh, we may we may need to get hell. We may need to gather late Monday night. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, I wish you luck. Uh, cross your fingers, cross your toes. Um, bring your rabbit's foot, whatever. And best of luck. Thanks for for joining me. We'll be back again soon. And uh, thanks for keep reading the the athletic. And a special thanks to our great producer, very patient person, Danielle Lehman, uh, putting up with us on a weekly basis, running through the audio afterward to get posted so quickly. Uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.